Hello everyone. Welcome to this episode of Laurel's Legacies, a podcast about Laurel County, Kentucky history, highlighting its people, places, and events. Presented by the Laurel County History Museum and Genealogy Center in London, Kentucky. I'm your host, Dana Estridge, a former journalist turned historian with a passion for local history. As you know, February is Black History Month, and this month I'm spotlighting some of Laurel County's African-American legacies. Please note that for this episode, I have substituted the words Black or African-American for some historic terminology which I deem to be unacceptable by today's standards. I normally don't change historic terminology, but because I don't want to speak certain words and phrases, I have done so for this episode. If these changes offend anyone, that is not my intention, but I refuse to speak certain words that make me feel uncomfortable and may cause others to feel uncomfortable. So with that out of the way, let's begin. While researching some of Laurel County's notable African Americans, I came across a man named Henry Clay Tinsley, born on July 5, 1869 in Laurel County. Interesting name, don't you think? It was very common in past centuries to name children after famous people, such as Kentucky statesman Henry Clay. In my own family, a great-great-uncle was named George Washington Hounshaw, and a great-great-grandfather was named Washington Boone Roberts. I guess they couldn't decide whether they admired George Washington or Daniel Boone more, so they compromised on great-grandpa's name. Anyway, my point is that Henry Clay Tinsley's name was bestowed upon him through a common practice during the time in which he was born. And while his first and middle names were given to him at birth and he used them throughout his life, his surname was not originally Tinsley. It was Severe. In the 1870 census for Laurel County, one-year-old Henry C. Severe is listed as living with his mother, Caroline Severe, who was a servant at the home of Judge Thomas Jefferson and Mary Frances Newcomb Canifax. There's that naming convention again, Thomas Jefferson Canifax. Hmm. Anyway, Caroline Severe was apparently unmarried at the time her son Henry Clay was born because I found the record of her marriage to Preston Tinsley three years after Henry Clay's birth on October 30, 1872 in Laurel County. The record states that it was the first marriage for both Preston Tinsley, age 23, and Caroline Severe, age 29. Whether Preston Tinsley was the biological father of Henry Clay is unknown, but after the marriage, the young boy's surname was recorded as Tinsley, not Severe. Whether that was due to a legal adoption or not is also unknown. It's possible that the young Henry Clay Tinsley never knew that he was born out of wedlock, because some records list his birth date as 1872, the year Caroline and Preston were married. The next census for Laurel County, 1880, records Henry Clay's surname as Tinsley and Preston and Caroline Tinsley, plus two sisters, Mary and Fanny, who may have been twins because both their ages are recorded as six years, and two brothers, James, age four, and George, age two. The head of the household, Preston Tinsley, was a farmer, and Henry Clay Tinsley, who was only 10 years old, is listed as a laborer. Not a student or a scholar, a laborer, probably on Preston Tinsley's farm. Henry also worked as a miner in Laurel County coal mines and was a clerk at various summer resorts. 
but Henry would go on to get an education and considerably improve his station in life. He took college preparatory classes and college courses at Berea College in Berea, Kentucky over a period of eight years, graduating with the class of 1900 with a Bachelor of Laws college degree. While attending Berea College, he also worked as traveling agent for the college in 1899 and 1900. Berea College was founded in 1855 by the abolitionist and Augusta College graduate John Gregg Fee. Berea College admitted both black and white students in a fully integrated curriculum, making it the first non-segregated co-educational college in the South and one of the handful of institutions of higher learning to admit both male and female students in the 1800s. Fortunately for Henry Clay Tinsley, he graduated from Berea before the Kentucky legislature's passage of the Day Law in 1904, which prohibited education of black and white students together. The Day Law remained in effect until 1950, when the law was finally amended to allow integration of schools at the college level. Henry Clay Tinsley would go on to earn a Doctor of Medicine degree from Meharry Medical College in Nashville, Tennessee, graduating on March 1, 1903. Meharry Medical College was founded in 1876 as the medical department of Central Tennessee College. Central Tennessee College was established in 1865 with the primary intention of educating African Americans. It was affiliated with the Freedmen's Aid Society of the Methodist Episcopal Church North. Meharry Medical College was the first medical school in the South established to primarily educate African Americans for careers in the medical field. The medical program was initially two years long, but they added an additional year to the course of study in 1879 and a fourth year in 1893. While attending medical college, Henry Clay Tinsley met and married Lottie Woodford of Indianapolis, Indiana, on June 25, 1901, in Clark County, Kentucky. In 1902, even before he graduated from Meharry Medical College, Henry was an assistant teacher there. When he graduated from Meharry, Henry held the highest average in his class for dissecting, had won second place in anatomy, and won the second prize for an essay titled, how to prepare for and perform a surgical operation in a private home. By April 1903, Dr. and Mrs. Henry Clay Tinsley had moved to Nicholasville, Kentucky. A short time later, they moved to Georgetown, Kentucky, and he set up his medical practice there. In December 1904, Dr. Tinsley attended the Kentucky State Black Teachers Association meeting in Louisville, Kentucky. He gave a speech titled, The Health of the People. Dr. Tinsley later had a session at the Kentucky State Black Teachers Association meeting in Winchester, Kentucky, which met December 29 through 31, 1908. His session was titled, Maximum State of Health. At the May 1911 meeting of the Kentucky State Society of Black Physicians and Surgeons, held in Louisville, Kentucky, Dr. Tinsley was elected as vice president of the society for the ensuing year. On November 13, 1911, Henry's mother, Caroline, passed away in Laurel County. She was 69 years old. She was buried in the Pittsburgh Cemetery at Pittsburgh, Laurel County. In May 1912, at the State Society of Black Physicians and Surgeons meeting held in Covington, Kentucky, Dr. Tinsley was selected to serve on the Credentials Committee. 
In August 1915, Dr. Tinsley spoke at the first Black Farmers Chautauqua in the United States, which was held in Richmond, Kentucky. His talk was titled, Health and Happiness, and he recommended the use of water internally, externally, and eternally. Good advice, I would say. On March 21, 1917, Dr. Tinsley went to Donrail, Kentucky, a Fayette County community near the boundary with Scott County on the Georgetown-Lexington Pike on an errand connected to his Georgetown medical practice. When he hadn't returned by 11 o'clock that evening, his wife became alarmed and asked a friend, Dr. Leland, to search for her husband. Dr. Leland found Dr. Tinsley at the edge of town, dazed, sitting on a fence. He had apparently fallen from his buggy during an attack of vertigo. Vertigo is a sensation that you or the environment around you is moving or spinning. It's a dizzying effect. If you've never suffered from vertigo, let me tell you, it isn't fun. I've had it several times, and it's almost impossible to even walk, much less drive or do anything else that takes coordination. Luckily, Dr. Tinsley was apparently not badly injured by his experience. Later that year, on October 15, 1917, tragically, Lottie Tinsley was killed and Dr. Tinsley was injured when the automobile he was driving was struck by a Lexington-Georgetown interurban car shortly after 5 o'clock that afternoon. The interurban was a type of electric railway with tram-like electric self-propelled rail cars which ran within and between cities or towns. Interurbans were common in the United States and Canada between 1900 and 1925 and were mainly used for passenger travel between cities and their surrounding suburban and rural communities. Lexington had interurban lines that ran to Georgetown, Frankfurt, Paris, Versailles, Nicholasville, and Winchester. The accident that claimed Lottie Tinsley's life was reportedly caused by Dr. Tinsley trying to turn his car around on the tracks in front of the approaching interurban car. The interurban driver reportedly did everything in his power to avoid the collision, but he was unsuccessful. I can't help but wonder if Henry Tinsley's attack of vertigo a few months before the interurban accident could have had anything to do with his apparently erratic driving. After all, Vertigo is a symptom of another condition, such as, in my case, an inner ear problem. If he was dizzy or disoriented, it could have led him to misjudge the distance and time he had to turn around before the interurban car collided with his car. I guess we'll never know for sure, but it's worth considering. Lottie Tinsley suffered a crushed skull and various other injuries. She died instantly, according to newspaper accounts. She was taken back to her hometown of Indianapolis, Indiana for burial in the Crown Hill Cemetery there. The now-widowed Dr. Henry Clay Tinsley continued his medical practice in Georgetown, eventually moving to St. Louis, Missouri a short time later. On January 24, 1920, Henry's father, or perhaps stepfather, Preston Tinsley, passed away at his home in Pittsburgh, Laurel County, after a long illness. He was buried in the Pittsburgh Cemetery alongside his wife, Caroline. A news article in the Georgetown, Kentucky Times, published on April 14, 1920, notes that Dr. Tinsley is doing well in St. Louis. Quote, Dr. H. C. Tinsley, who has been constantly honored since he left Georgetown a few years ago, is now a practicing and consulting physician in St. Louis. He was recently elected physician-in-chief in the eye, ear, nose, and throat department of the People's Hospital. 
He is also on the associate staff of the Eye, Ear, Nose, and Throat Department of City Hospital No. 3, consulting physician in the Day Nursery Provident Association, and chairman of the Executive Committee of the St. Louis Medical Forum. End quote. Busy guy. In May 1923, Dr. Tinsley was elected president of the Missouri Pan-Medical Association. From August 28th to 31st, 1923, Dr. Tinsley attended the 28th annual session of the National Medical Association at St. Louis. The association's members were black physicians, surgeons, dentists, and pharmacists. Dr. Tinsley gave a welcoming address to those in attendance during the Tuesday night public meeting held at the Union Memorial Church. In May 1926, Dr. Tinsley attended the 28th annual session of the Medical Society of Black Physicians, Dentists, and Pharmacists of Kentucky in Louisville. In April 1928, Dr. Tinsley was in charge of the nose and throat clinic at the John A. Andrews Clinical Society at Tuskegee, Alabama. During the clinic, Dr. Tinsley performed a number of surgeries, including 35 tonsillectomies, one uvulectomy, and one turbinosectomy. A tonsillectomy is a surgery to remove the tonsils. A uvulectomy is a surgical procedure in which all or part of the uvula is removed. The uvula is a bell-shaped organ that hangs from the top of the throat. A turbinectomy is a surgical procedure that removes tissue, and sometimes bone, of the turbinates in the nasal passage. Turbinates are small structures inside the nose that cleanse and humidify air that passes through the nostrils into the lungs. Dr. Tinsley reported that the clinic was a great success. During Black Health Week in St. Louis, held April 7th through 14th, 1929, Dr. Tinsley was in charge of the committee health programs provided by local churches. He was also a member of the Finance Committee. The event was a cooperative effort among the St. Louis Department of Health, the Board of Education, local churches, various health organizations, and local movie theaters, which showed health films, along with their regular theatrical releases during that week. Later that month, Dr. Tinsley led the Emblem Club division of the annual membership campaign of the Pine Street Branch YMCA in St. Louis. It was later reported that Dr. Tinsley had secured the largest number of members ever secured by an individual among the black YMCAs of the entire country. The following year, Dr. Tinsley served as chair of the membership campaign, which was conducted from April 26 to May 6, 1930. Also in April 1930, Dr. Henry Clay Tinsley attended the 13th annual John A. Andrew Clinical Society meeting at the Tuskegee Institute in Tuskegee, Alabama. The society was organized in 1918 for the advancement of black physicians and surgeons in the science and art of medical medicine and surgery. The meeting was held at the John A. Andrew Memorial Hospital, which was a teaching hospital on the campus of the Tuskegee Institute, open from 1892 to 1987. Among the activities held during the meeting was the dedication of a new $20,000 annex to the hospital. The annex was a two-story, fireproof brick structure containing a lecture room seating 400, clinical rooms, outpatient rooms, staff rooms, and a department of physiotherapy. Dr. Tinsley stayed busy with his various interests and his medical practice through 1932, but it all ended without warning in January 1933. 
On January 9, 1933, Dr. Henry Clay Tinsley was found dead at his combination office and living quarters in St. Louis by Dr. Anderson Cheatham, one of the other two doctors occupying the suite in which Dr. Tinsley lived and worked. Dr. Cheatham found Dr. Tinsley lying on a couch with his face wrapped in towels and cotton soaked with an anesthetic. He was 55 years old. The last person to see Dr. Tinsley alive was Dr. Cheatham, who saw him around 10 o'clock the night before he died. According to Dr. Cheatham, Dr. Tinsley was apparently in good spirits at that time. The last known person to hear him speak was a Dr. Codner, proprietor of Codner Pharmacy, who said Dr. Tinsley called him on the telephone about 8.10 the morning of his death and asked Dr. Codner for a certain brand of chloroform. Dr. Codner told Dr. Tinsley that he was out of that brand of chloroform, and Dr. Tinsley hung up so quickly that the pharmacist didn't have time to give him any further information. An attendant at the West End Garage said Dr. Tinsley put his automobile in the garage about 5 o'clock the night before he died, which was earlier than he usually garaged his car. When the attendant asked if he would need the car again, the doctor told the attendant that he might not need it anymore. Shortly after Dr. Tinsley's death was announced, rumors proposing that the physician had met with foul play began to spread thick and wild in the community. Some said he was to have testified in court against a notorious character on the day of his death. Others said he was having financial difficulties. Still others said he was afraid of trouble with federal agents. None of these rumors seemed to have any substance, and the week after he died, the coroner ruled the death as a suicide when an examination of his stomach contents showed evidence of poison. After Dr. Tinsley's death, his will was filed with the courts, and Mrs. Mary Hutt Lattimore, a schoolteacher with whom Dr. Tinsley had been keeping company, was made executrix of his estate. According to his obituary in the January 13, 1933 issue of the St. Louis Argus, funeral services for Dr. Henry Clay Tinsley were held January 12th at St. James African Methodist Episcopal Church in St. Louis. Since he was a member of the Hugh Hart Post Number no. 2156, Veterans of Foreign Wars, he was given a military burial at Washington Park Cemetery with an official firing squad from Jefferson Barracks. I was unable to locate his military records, so I have no idea when he was in the service or even what branch of the military he served in. His obituary also mentioned that his wife died during a car accident some years before, which I knew and told you about. The obituary mentioned that his two children were also dead. I didn't find any other mention of his children in my research. In addition to all the organizations and activities I've already mentioned, his obituary says Dr. Tinsley was also a member of the Elks, the Masons, the Ancient United Knights and Daughters of Africa, the Chi Delta Mu Fraternity, the St. Louis Black Orphans Home Board, and was president of the local volleyball association for a number of years. As a player on the volleyball team, Dr. Tinsley was apparently known for his athletic prowess. So what went wrong? Did he really commit suicide? And if he did, why? His life seemed to be very full, with a lot of accomplishments and accolades. His life touched a lot of other lives, and he had a positive impact on countless people. Why end it all? Well, we'll never know. 
There are usually many different factors that contribute to suicide, and looking back almost a century into the past, we can't begin to understand what factors may have contributed to Dr. Henry Clay Tinsley's decision to end his own life. Suicide is the tenth leading cause of death in the United States. In 2019, 12 million American adults seriously thought about suicide. Three and a half million made a plan to die by suicide, and 1.4 million attempted suicides. More than 47,500 of them succeeded. Some of the common warning signs of someone who may commit suicide include talking about feeling unbearable pain, death or a recent fascination with death, feeling hopeless, worthless, or trapped, feeling guilt, shame, or anger, feeling like they're a burden to others. Other warning signs may include changes in behavior or mood, such as a recent suicide attempt, increased alcohol or drug use, losing interest in personal appearance or hygiene, withdrawing from family, friends, or community, saying goodbye to friends and family, giving away prized possessions, a recent episode of depression, emotional distress, and or anxiety, changes in eating and or sleeping patterns, becoming violent or being a victim of violence, expressing rage, recklessness. If you or someone you know may be at risk for suicide, there is help available. In Kentucky, simply call or text 988 free of charge to connect with suicide prevention, mental health, and substance abuse counselors. This service is available to all Kentuckians 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days a year, or in the case of 2024, 366 days a year since this is leap year. Please use 988 if you experience the symptoms I outlined earlier. I hate to end on such a low note, but that's all I have for this week. If you liked this episode, be sure to tune in again next Thursday for another interesting story from Laurel County's past. And if you did enjoy this episode, please tell your friends about this podcast presented by the Laurel County History Museum and Genealogy Center at Heritage Hills off Tom Jensen Highway in London. The museum is a 501c3 nonprofit organization whose mission is to acquire and preserve historical documents and artifacts related to the rich history of Laurel County and southeastern Kentucky. You can get directions to the museum and genealogy center on their website at laurelcokyhistorymuseum.org or call 606-862-1693. They're open 1 p.m. to 5 p.m. Tuesday and Thursday and by appointment. Until next week, I'm your host, Dana Estridge. Thanks for stopping by.